So Jesse Manabusin is unique in that I think my first experience of Jesse was not from opening a hymnal and singing one of his songs, but of actually experiencing uh, one of his live events. I remember uh, the very first time I ever saw him, I think it was at an NCYC, and I had never seen someone so on fire uh, with the love of Christ and getting just other youth and the adults in the room just so completely electrified about their faith. You know, my first experience with Jesse really mirrors yours, Zach. I can remember being, I don't remember if it was middle school or high school, but I was at a uh, local youth rally in our diocese and Jesse was there. And he had such a, a humorous, disarming way to reach all of us, but but a way that was authentic and it got to something so much more deep and, and really plugged into um, the the spirituality of where we were and and where we were theologically and 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 brought alive our yearning to know more and to develop this relationship and this love in a way that I had never experienced before. I've seen engaging speakers before, but but Jesse truly has a gift. Um I really enjoyed seeing how that fire and that passion and that engagement was present when we sat down with him, just the three of us in a room, and spent some time chatting earlier this summer. It it was obviously a different setting, but it was still the same Jesse as though he was in front of hundreds of people at a, at a youth rally. Still the same passion, still the same fire, and I think it really comes through in our conversation. So please open your hymnal to open my eyes. Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Manabusin. I am a Catholic ninja of the 13th degree. I don't know what that really means, but let's just go with that. I am a Catholic itinerant witness who travels the world sharing the gospel through music and spoken word, humor and stories. Um, Thanks for joining me on this discussion, and I hope you have a great time. As a self-taught musician that started guitar, started playing guitar at eight, and then started playing at mass at nine, um, and as many Pacific Islanders that I'm familiar with from Guam or the Philippines, we. Most of us learn by ear. Some of us that are really blessed get to have lessons. I was on the uh, on the side of learning by ear. Mom played piano. Dad sang in the choir. So music was always a part of my life. As I learned more and more music and how to play the guitar and how to essentially learning to play guitar by learning the songs of of the church, great hymns. You know, in the seventies, it were like all of a sudden guitars started started showing up. So. It was a it was a, an exciting time as a young person to not just learn how to play guitar but to connect it with my faith. So I was plugged in every Sunday was a recital. As I grew older and and you know moved through elementary school and junior high and high school, I started I started taking it more seriously um, at the 10:30 mass in St. Barnabas in Alameda as a, a, a sophomore in high school. I started paying attention to the readings. I led a small uh, ensemble of singers, and I had a process with a good friend of mine 
who played bass guitar and another friend who played guitar. And we made a commitment. And it was after visiting an NPM, uh, an NPM event in Santa Cruz in 1982, where all of a sudden I saw something bigger that put into a much deeper context of what was going on as me not just being a musician, but a pastoral and liturgical musician. From that experience, I started being more uh, purposeful and, and intentional about how I would choose the music for Mass. So I started, so Tom and Alex and I, we would gather, read the readings on a Wednesday night, and we'd pray through the readings, and we'd come up with music that might help support the ritual and the readings for the upcoming liturgy. So we'd all go to a different part of the church. We'd break apart at the beginning. We'd pray, then we'd go to different corners of the church and go through the readings. And lo and behold, there was a gospel on one of these meetings that essentially was Jesus meeting a beggar and Jesus saying, what is it that you need? And the beggar saying, I want you to open my eyes. And it made just sense to move right to open my ears, my heart, my life, my mind. And, and I just, it was a song that happened almost in 10 minutes. It was such a beautiful experience to write. And that's my process anyway. I write very, very simply, simple melody. Um, and it, the church just started singing it at my parish, just started singing it. That was in 19, the early 80s. In 19... I would say in 1985, Rufino Zaragoza, Brother Rufino Zaragoza, had heard that song. It had been getting some traction here and there. Just um, He was in the same diocese of Oakland, and he was finishing. This will show you how far back this was. He said, Jesse, I have a new cassette, and I need one more song, like a, prayers, a prayer chant, something really simple. I was wondering if I could use, if I could record Open My Eyes. I said, great. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about that, but sure, by all means. And he asked if I could sing it, so I had my first recording uh, experience, and and then it became published with this group called National Catholic Register, or something like that. Um, and eventually, OCP stumbled across it, called me on the phone, and said, we'd love to publish this. I didn't even know what that meant. You know, I wasn't writing for publishing. I was writing for my community, um, where you know, just where maybe I'd be inspired with a psalm or with a reading. And lo and behold, um, they published it. I didn't even, I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I was going to get 50 bucks. They asked me, could I send the charts? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> and they asked, why not? And I said, well, because I can't read any music. But it worked out. They, they worked it out and they published Open my eyes. It is now in four different languages. In it's in uh, Vietnamese. It's in Korean. It's in uh, Spanish and English. And someone's working on a Filipino translation. Open my eyes is one of those songs that when we use it at liturgy, we don't even need to announce it anymore. We don't need to have people open their hymnals because that melody. Uh, in its simplicity and because of how memorable it is, it's just imprinted on the hearts of all who sing it. And a simple but lovely melody that's also matched with a deceptively simple text. The structure of the text, of course, you know, where you change one operative word, open my eyes, open my ears. But 
what impresses me about this song every time I sing it, even though it's simple, and the reason I say it's deceptive is that that simple text really plums the depths of whatever emotional state I'm in when I sing this song. Open my eyes, Lord. Open my ears, Lord. Means something different every time I sing it. And by taking that simple text, Jesse's really able to meet us where we are and allow for an opening for the emotions and the prayers that we have at that moment to really come forward. You know, as I write, as I write text and uh, create melody, I, I know that I'm not writing stuff that is new. You know, there's, there's a, um, a pool, a uh, historical pool of music and text that I've, that's been given to us and, and, and it's uniquely been given to me as I've sung the music through the, through the years. Um, but I do know that I've learned, uh, as I do write, to take from that both consciously and I think even subconsciously to um, imagine an assembly singing this song. Is this melody, is it something that's easy enough? I mean, open my eyes, open my eyes, Lord, help me to see. It's all really pretty easy stuff. Give us your peace, oh God, give us your peace, your peace. So in my mind, I'm always thinking, how accessible is this melody going to be, or this text, so that the assembly doesn't have to work extra hard to be able to enter into prayer to be able to embody that that prayer which is melody and text and spirit and theology without being overwhelmed so the whole the whole foundation is simplicity first foremost and forever for me part of that is because i don't know how to write any other way you know i was raised by the music of James Taylor, you know, of the 70s, and and um, Jim Croce. I was raised with guitar singer-songwriters, and, and that's, part of my, that's part of my learning and part of my formation, as well as the St. Louis Jesuits and Joe Wise and Ray Rep and, and that whole group of folks who wrote stuff that was much simpler. Um, than stuff that I'd grown up earlier listening to more traditional songs and great hymns of the church. So the process is always keep it simple. Imagine this assembly singing this text. Imagine this, even as I write multilingual stuff, the song Malo Malo, Thanks Be to God. As I teach that, I don't even say, so let us sing this through, even when I'm preparing an assembly for liturgy, I I asked I don't ask them to sing. I say repeat after me. Malo malo, thanks be to God. And then they respond. And they fully respond because there's no risk. I'm not asking them to sing. But what has happened in that moment is rapport and community has been established. So that's sort of a disarming, wonderful disarming moment. Obrigado. Obrigado. Alleluia. Alleluia. And I'm also animating as I'm speaking, so I'm drawing them into it, which I believe is is a really good tool as we're inviting people to sing songs that are familiar and new songs. So, and then before you know it, and I tell them, don't look at the words, just look at me. We'll do this together. Mahalo, mahalo, thanks be to God. 
Mahalo. And then I'll say, let's try it like this. Malo, malo, thanks be to God. Malo, malo. And they're in. And they're in. So, again, multilingual stuff, bilingual stuff, monolingual stuff. Keep it simple. Keep it accessible. Animate. Appreciate. Celebrate. Jesse has a special vocation to working with and engaging young people in the faith, both in terms of music, but but just in terms of their own spiritual formation and their participation in the life of the church. And earlier, he spoke about how his involvement with music at his parish from a very young age was brought about because of his family, his mom's involvement, his dad's involvement. And it was that that large family with many brothers and sisters that also contributed to his involvement in and focus on young people and engaging them in the church. You know, I, I, I don't believe in accidents anymore, coincidences. I don't know who coined the phrase God incident. I was raised with nine siblings. That was a church in and of itself. Mom plugged us into ministry at a very, very early age and thought it would be nice if she dressed us all the same. So we were going to be the Catholic Osmonds or the Catholic Jackson Nine, seven brothers and two sisters. Um, I grew up in the church, and I was so blessed that I had adults in my life, significant adults in that music ministry, who had no idea that they were youth ministers. But they ministered to us, my brother Frank and Joe and, and myself, and affirmed us as musicians in this ministry, they did say, hey, put those three guys in the back, and whatever you do, do not plug in their guitars. Because we, were, we, you know, we weren't proficient at it. But they would call us, hey, youngins. So we, at the very early stages, got affirmed and validated, and there was something about that that stuck. Um, a priest's brother's... A uh, religious brother named Brother Ernie, I don't have no idea where he is. He taught us a couple of good guitar chords. Um, uh, folks who mentored us just by their presence. And that. And then, again, uh, as time moved on and, and, I, and we grew in proficiency, um, going to youth events. You know, I'm, I'm 58 now. You know, in 2017, I'm 58. I'm going to be 59. I'm an elder. You know, I'm an elder. So even when I tell people, like young people, how old I am, they sometimes scream or just I'm, you know, react in silent horror. Uh, but um, you know, with the with you know the the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministries, for LA Congress's event Youth Day, for uh, St. John Paul Paul John, John Paul II and his World Youth Day that I participated in 1993 and almost every subsequent other World Youth Day, there was something beautiful about not just teaching, but learning on how to be with young people. I had a, a great experience of growing up in the church um, and knew that there was a unique way of meeting young people where they are, bringing the richness of the Catholic Church and and bringing that to them wherever they are. And it was more than just music. It was, it was really relationship. It was really everything. Like I'm going to have a, a Ken Canedo and I are going to do an, uh, an industry workshop, and it's going to be called All Are Welcome. And it, we're going to use some music, but we're going to talk about relationship, 
how to connect with people, just acknowledging their presence. Um, it is, for me, it is, I heard Mary Lou Becker years ago from the um, CMD, Center for Ministries Development, say to an, uh, a group of catechists, how many of you are youth ministers? How many of you are youth ministers? Raise your hand. And so there were f- some folks in the room that raised their hand. Then she said, let's try it this way. How many here are baptized Catholics? And everybody raised their hand. And she said, hold it, keep your arms up. Ministry to young people in the church belongs to the baptized, not just the people who are in the hot seat, but everyone, every adult who is baptized has an opportunity to have an interaction with a young person. That's the moment of grace that can make the difference. That could be the game changer for how a young person's faith is deepened or becomes disconnected. Those kinds of moments were life-changing for me. And, and so growing up as the quiet one in my family, growing up nicknamed Mouse because I rarely said anything unless it was dinner time and do we get seconds, was, uh, was a perfect way for the Holy Spirit to go, hey, I know you're, you're afraid of the world and afraid of people, so I have a cool job for you. I'm going to put you in front of young people. And as it turns out, it saved me and continues to save me and continues to encourage me uh, to be an advocate uh, for young people with foreign and um, in ministry with young people. The anecdote that Jesse shared with us, I think, is of critical importance. The concept of all of us who minister in the church in whatever way that is, that all of us are youth ministers is really important. And I am I am a big proponent of professionalization and professional development and studying and becoming an expert in your field. So I don't want you know, this comment to be to be confused. But I do think that when we have professionalized ministries like youth ministry, what we've unintentionally done, the result has been that we have compartmentalized that ministry. So if your parish has a youth minister, then now anything that has to do with youth, that person is in charge of. And by doing that, we've segmented our ministry and we don't have a holistic ministry that we really have to. And imagine what our parishes would look like if every person from the usher to the music director and liturgist to the pastor thought of themselves as equally a youth minister, um, we could really, really set the world on fire. You know, I can't scroll through my Facebook news feed without seeing some article about where have the youth gone from our churches or where are the millennials? We can't go to conventions or conferences without seeing a long list of breakout sessions about how to engage the youth or where are the youth. But You contrast that with the amazing presence you see at things like NCYC or Steubenville or Music Ministry Alive or One Bread, One Cup, and you see that the youth are there. They're doing the work. They're excited about the faith. Can we do more? Sure. But really, I think the question that we need to be asking ourselves is how do we transition them who are doing the work, who are living the faith, into the greater Uh, community that we celebrate in our parishes. And I think Jesse is um, exactly right. The first step is that we all must be thinking of ourselves as youth ministers. Well, I think that we, I think that 
what could be really helpful? Because I thank God, I praise God that there are tracks that uh, are more and more you're seeing at different uh, conferences that are talking about engaging youth. I think, you know, I heard um, Jack Jezreel in Orlando for one of the national conferences for Catholic Youth Ministries saying, we are a great gathering church. We're so good at gathering. It's one of the great strengths of the church. What we need practice and, and, and more work with is how can we be better at sending forth, at going to where young people are, because they're not going to where we are. And that's not bad news. That's just tough and sober news. So maybe we listen to Jesus say, come and follow me, not just to church, but come follow me as I lead you to where they are. Their football games, their recitals, their um, chess matches, their debate um, champ, you know, tournaments. Just And so for me, I, I'll say, hey, I'll do whatever it takes to be with, to go to a, a young, a, a group of young people and have a moment where I can affirm the gospel already there, affirm the spirit, use the language of the church, share some of the music of the church in a context that is engaging and vibrant and inspiring, and then tell them, listen, don't let what happened here stay here. You are the church right here, right now. Um, let's go plant seeds of inspiration wherever we are. Acknowledging to them in that moment that this is not how it is in in our parishes, not even all the time or some of the time, but that's okay. This is a moment of cultivating joy, cultivating uh, inspiration and hope and evangelization and being sent forth to do what we can, to share what we've seen, to say what we've heard, and be a light that could affect my, you know, our, our classmates, our schoolmates, our parents. So I think anything that we can do to encourage, to inspire, to validate, and to challenge each other is good news. It's great news. It's, it's a lifelong process. And, and we've made, I think we've made strides in the church. Uh, but we can't, we can't just sit on the laurels. We've got to answer every challenge, you know. We do, we're good at proclaiming. Uh, we need to continue to, um, to, uh, to get better at manifesting faith and the life in Christ. It's, it's a tough thing that we do moment by moment. I'm continually surprised as we do this podcast, the things that you'll learn about these composers and really how... You know, these interviews have served to humanize these songs. Um, you know, you ask anyone who's ever seen Jesse and they just talk about the joy that he exudes and the excitement that he creates. I do, you know, folks have called me a joy cultivator, and I love that. Mike Patan, he's another Catholic itinerant witness. People refer to him as a faith horticulturist. Um, I like the term joy cultivator and and I, one of the reasons I like that, because I suffer from depression. I grew up as Eeyore. I wasn't Winnie the Pooh or Tigger. I wasn't Rue. I was Eeyore. And to this day, I have a heavy Eeyore, you know, in my, in my heart and in my, and in my mind and in my psyche. So I wear this smiley face shirt to remind me of the joy of the Lord. 
that the joy of the Lord is my strength, is the strength, is the, the foundation of faith. So I use all kinds of ways to not create joy, to cultivate it and awaken it. You know, I let them know that. I'm, I struggle every day to be a disciple, to be faithful. When I heard that Mother Teresa had letters with doubts, oh my gosh, that was an amazing moment. When, Saint, when, when Pope Francis says stuff about mercy and compassion, it saves my life because I need mercy and I need compassion. And the best way to get it is by being merciful and compassionate. So those, those things, humor, to disarm and to build connection, the gift of vulnerability and humility, uh, tell a group right up front, you know, I'm not here because I'm found. I'm here because I'm lost. Uh, to be able to listen to the wisdom of saints like Teresa of Calcutta, John Paul II, to hear um, folks like Holy Father uh, Pope Francis, um, to hear the hope that they have and the commitment that they have to mercy and compassion. That's all stuff that just fuels my faith and, and fuels my joy. You know, I've, I'm 58. I've seen great heartache personally and professionally, and I'm still here. I thank God I'm still here because God's joy is the strength that continues to move me in spite of myself. You might have seen an article going around recently on Facebook. Um, It's a study from the University of Westminster that says musicians are actually three times more likely to suffer symptoms of depression. Uh, The article cites just having to juggle different jobs, um, sometimes money issues, dealing with precarious and sometimes unpredictable pay, Um, It's hard, I think, especially as musicians, um, you know, and I can speak for myself in this, that, you know, it's a profession that is often romanticized, like, you know, oh, you get to be, you know, living your passion and living your dream. But what that uh, often ignores is just how much work and how difficult uh, the business really is. Um, And I think, you know, juggling that kind of contrast uh, puts you in a very vulnerable position sometimes. And I would imagine, and maybe there's a study that exists that looks at ministry also, but I, I would imagine if there were such a study that maybe similar findings would exist in that as ministers, particularly music ministers, but in general, all ministers who are called to be present to other people, available to other people, have answers for other people, that that's a lot of pressure, but also seems to maybe not romanticize ministry, but sort of expect that ministers also don't need to be ministered to. And, and you know, ministers are people and, of course, are human and have the same gifts and limitations as anybody else. And, you know, so when you look at somebody like, like Jesse, who just spoke about how he is a joy ambassador, a joy ninja, um, and, and the captivating personality he has reaching out to young people and, and older people alike, um, I, it was it was humbling and and um, just beautiful to hear him share uh, some of his own uh, struggles with with depression or some of his own experience with the times when he wasn't joyful. And uh, I I have such profound respect for 
for those who experience this, who are open and vulnerable enough to talk about it and share their story with the rest of us? I think sharing the sharing with the public that I suffer from depression in the beginning was more difficult than I thought. But I remember my mentor, Father Greg Camella, um, rest in peace, one of my, my great mentors, a precious blood priest, um, said, um, share the gospel story, but also don't be afraid to share some of your life. You don't have to overshare or do too much information, but share some vulnerability. Let people in. Um, and I have, I have seen people share way too much, you know, just because the, the content of their share was like not age appropriate. I could, I could see their, their heart's intention, but there are things and ways to share tough stuff. Um, so I think at this point, my experience has been just be true, be authentic in the moment. Always ask the Holy Spirit to, to bless with humility and vulnerability in holy and healthy ways. I know that I can go up and talk to people about the sacrament of reconciliation and say without being specific how I've needed that sacrament in my own life how I, through because of my depression, how I've tried to self-medicate with behaviors that were not healthy or holy. And that there are moments that I've been so dark and so uh, spirit, physical, life-threatening in a moment uh, in the years of my life that it, it's God's grace that I've asked for help. It, it gives the listener who might be struggling with depression or other mental health issues permission to say, wait, I can ask for help? And I've not had to be real specific about those shadows and those dark moments, but just saying, hey, I'm Jesse. I have, I have clay feet. I'm, I'm, I am fully in this Paschal mystery of light and darkness and falling and failing and rising and hoping. So I think what I've learned is that to share, praying for the Spirit to give you wisdom on how to share that and then be in the moment. Telling them, this you're seeing the best of me right now, but the great trial for me is when I get off at this microphone and walk off at this stage and get a ride to my hotel because that's when the enemy is really going to be working. So pray for me. Those moments when I share about depression or share about my sin um, and, my, and my doubts, those are the moments when I can say to the assembly, pray for me. Here, often Pope Francis says, pray for me. I'm like, gosh, pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you. It's not as difficult because I'm to, to know that I have to get geared up because I know that in that moment, I just know that now because of the Spirit's faithfulness to carry the day. I'm just going to go up. I'm, I may not even remember what I say. Um, and I'm going to give credit to the Holy Spirit. You know, this sharing, sharing a podcast or an, any kind of interview, I'm sharing from my heart. And I know that the Spirit is trying to direct me, <laughs> direct me out of my ego and say things that I may never... I'll be grateful because you guys recorded it. <laughs> what did I say at that interview? I don't know, but apparently it, it was good. 
So difficult or easy, I try to live in the moment and trust the spirit that, that it'll all unfold wonderfully um, in God's grace. And now, here is a recording of Open My Eyes in its entirety. Open my eyes, Lord. Help me to see your face. Open my eyes, Lord. Help me to see. Open my ears, Lord. Help me to hear your voice. Open my ears, Lord. Help me to
Thank you for listening to the Open Your Hymnal podcast. Open My Eyes is published by OCP. The recording you heard was released by OCP on the album Power of Peace. Links to this material and other resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. We'd like to specially thank Jesse Menebusen for this interview. Production assistance and support was provided by Rick Maudlin and OCP and Stephen Petronak and the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. You can find important digital resources for music ministry at NPM's website, www.npm.org. If you aren't a member yet, sign up today. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes and through Google Play. Our next episode will feature an interview with composer Jaime Cortez and his song, Somos el Cuerpo de Cristo. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Matt Reichert. And I'm Zach Stahowski. Thanks for listening. Thank you.